from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. And then the vaccines started coming, you know, they were coming, so we had to start educating people in their language, um, meeting them where they were. You know, that was very important. You know, we talk about a lot in, um, just in general, in like healthcare provision and provision, I think, of just like social services, uh, cultural competency. Um, and that really is just kind of the bare minimum, I would say. I'm Sarah Fenske. Across the U.S., Latinos have lagged behind their counterparts in COVID-19 vaccinations. But that is not true in Missouri. Here, 56% of the Hispanic or Latino population has received at least one dose of the vaccine. And that's true of just 47% of non-Latinos. One reason for that success may be the work of STL Juntos. The group was formed during the pandemic to help connect people within the Latin community to health care and support. And joining us today to share about that work and why the vaccination rate here is higher than you might expect is Lourdes Trevino Bailan. She is a co-founder of STL Juntos. Lourdes, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. And we're also joined today by Julia Lopez. She's an instructor in medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at Washington University School of Medicine and a PhD in public health. Julia, welcome. Yes, buenas tardes. Uh, so Lourdes, I want to start with you. STL Juntos formed right at the start of the pandemic. What made you realize there was a need for this kind of group? Well, like, like everybody else was being sent home. And we were watching the news and all we were seeing was English information and very little off, right? We were going back home and we're trying to figure out, okay, how are these other people that have a language gap not getting the information? Just basic stuff about COVID-19, it's here. Basic, stay at home. (laughs) Very basic. (laughs) So that's obviously a big concern if you're thinking Spanish speakers aren't gonna be getting information that makes sense to them. How did you go about trying to put together a group to address this? Yes, yeah, so my um, friend and co-founder, um, Gabriela ramirez Arellano, you know, we were on the phone. She calls me. We're, like, going back and forth. Who's getting the information? Who's giving it out? Everybody's home. Everybody that has funding to do this type of st- stuff is now home without funds and not real- figuring out what to do. So um, we decided to translate the first stay-at-home order. And when we translated that stay-at-home order, the hits that we got through Facebook yeah. Obviously, that's all the reach we had. We had to reach the community somehow. And the amount of people we've reached was just so overwhelming that we just thought, you know, this is we need to continue, you know, sharing information, whatever is coming out. So, Lourdes, it, it, this is great that you put this out there and there was such a need. But this previously hadn't even been translated. Nothing was translated <laughs> I mean, you know, even even the English information was coming out and it, nobody knew what. It was, was kind of hard out. to follow what it was, was happening very where. hard. Yeah. So, yeah. So so we just decided, let's go ahead and translate um, this information. Yes. Yeah. So that's a great start. And that's a good thing you did. Uh, then you brought in some health professionals to help deal with some additional things. How did you begin reaching out to the kind of people who would be willing to help with this effort? So our only thing that we wanted to do was just translate the information right as it was coming out. But. You know, to our surprise, we got a call and we were reached out from the um, medical staff and students from Washington University. Um, they reached out to us and they were looking for a platform 
to share information and do outreach for the Spanish speakers. So that's when we connected, and they were a big part of our initi- initial you know, state. So we started doing PSAs, um, just information, myths, I mean, just a whole bunch of inf- information that was actually accurate information um, and verified. So know. Julia, I imagine this is where you come in. Washington University understood that there was a need here. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it was during that time that I got to meet with Lourdes um, and really be able to kind of provide um, really this kind of myth-busting space and uh, collaborate with other colleagues, um, both in the Division of Infectious Diseases, as well as um, others who were interested in that support, you know, students and medical students and others who wanted to uh, come together in this unified front to really kind of uh, provide as much uh, information in the Spanish-speaking language as possible. Um, And so uh, from my perspective, it was very much um, from a public health, you know, epidemiological standpoint, but also at the intersection of mental wellness, uh, mental health, uh, substance use, as I'm also a licensed clinical social worker. So I um, really practice uh, quite a lot in that space in in relation to infectious diseases and the impact that has on uh, people's well-being. Um, And so that was something that was uh, particularly, of course, um, you know, becoming very much a front and center into, you know, people's uh, day-to-day living. Yeah, I feel like so many of us at the beginning of the pandemic, our minds were just racing. So many of us turned to perhaps self-medication in ways that was not healthy. Uh, Lourdes, this sounds like this was something where the community really responded well to this as well. Yes. So our initial state was just translate. And then we realized these people needed you know, mental help or health information, right? They they wanted to talk to somebody. They wanted to, you know, know that what they were feeling was also it, it, something that everybody else was feeling. It was normal. Mm-hmm. And that's where Julia came in. Dr. Julia came in and um, we did, uh, I think it was once a month, once a month that we were doing um, an outreach for the community to just come together and talk. And And, and so, Julia, how do you do that, though, at a time when we were all supposed to not come together? Um, Was this something that you had to do virtually? Yeah, we uh, yeah, we we decided to come. We when we were all talking like Gabriela, Lourdes and I, we were saying, okay, we're going to do these like charlas. So like uh, this kind of this like very trying to keep it very like um, casual, you know, Zoom, you know, like come bring your cafe, like bring your coffee and like come to these Zoom hangouts um, on Monday mornings. And for a little while we were doing it, we started off slow, but then realized that people were really like engaged in commenting and doing a lot of that a follow-up. And so we went to weekly for quite a while, actually, right, Lou, to this? I think it was probably for like four or five months, I want to say, um, before we went to then bi-weekly. Wow. Um, and, then, and then we did bi-weekly all the way up until uh, just the beginning of this summer. Wow. So, <laughs> so there we, was we really, really people so responded to this, Julia. Yeah, it was pretty significant. I think people were always consistently kind of interacting um, asking for feedback, asking for commentary. And some people would get on Zoom if they felt comfortable and other times people didn't, you know, and that was totally fine. But the comments I would get either outside of the time of, of when we would have those charlas from like community members who had heard about it or who said like, this has been really great, please keep it up. Um, to, you know, people just generally commenting or finding my profile on like Psychology Today and just like 
uh, just sending me messages about, you know, how they found those chalas to be really helpful were like just some of the, you know, some of those out, you know, specific outreaches that people had made, which, um, you know, really held the importance of uh, me- making those uh, those kinds of conversations steadfast. And Julia, this word charlas, that's kind of like the word for chat. So you're sort of signifying mm-hmm. from the get-go, this is super informal. Exactly, right. And like, I think Lourdes and I and Gabriela too, like, we really tried to keep it very casual. We'd like joke around and we'd we'd talk about our own like kind of like feelings and personal stuff, really trying to like also make it feel like we weren't just, you know, trying to keep this very... Um, you know, just about other people, that we were also being impacted in our own ways um, and that that was that made it real. Um, I think it can be hard for people to feel like they can uh, feel like other people are really understanding them if you don't at least, um, you know, give a little. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. there's definitely some like, you know, especially from a therapist standpoint, of course, like there is some boundaries you have to maintain, of course, but there is like a space that I think that is important in being able to like uh, really, truly um, connect with people. And so... I think we really did a good uh, space in being able to maintain that, and people really did like pick that up in a in a real way. So this sounds like a wonderful group, and and you guys have um, you know people coming for these chats. Then we get to the point where vaccines become available. Uh, Lourdes, is that something that you proactively um, began to talk to people about? Hey, this is coming. Like, here's how to get ready. Yes. So the first thing that came up before the vaccines, we had mass mandate as well. Mm-hmm. So we had to translate that and we were also part of the uh, of a um, a press conference with with a with a county. And then the vaccines started coming, you know, they were coming, so we had to start educating people in their language, um, meeting them where they were. You know, that was very important. And so unlike what many people thought that the Latinos were not ready, they were absolutely ready and hmm. they were waiting. You know, they were waiting and they wanted to they wanted the access. We just didn't have it. So when whenever we did get the opportunity, we were able to collaborate with other organizations. Um, we were able to bring it, bring them out there right away. So, so you didn't see hesitancy. It was more an access issue maybe than people not being sure they wanted it. Access and language, mm-hmm. the language barrier. That had a lot to do because even even when we were doing the, the, the vaccines, they would say, you know, well, I'm going to wait till you do another one because we share information all the time of vaccine events and stuff. But we get emails and they'll say, I'm just going to wait until you're going to be there. I'm like, but there's somebody there. You know, I mean, that's hard because they want to go and know that somebody is there and they're not going to have that language gap. Hmm. I can see. I mean, it just feels like anytime you travel in a foreign country and, and you don't know the language, you just feel so uncomfortable even saying, excuse me. You just feel like I'm not going to know what they're saying in response. And Julia, I understand this even goes beyond that. It's not just about language. It's also about understanding the culture. Is that important? I mean, from a healthcare perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we talk about a lot in um, just in general in like healthcare provision and provision, I think, of just like social services, uh, cultural competency. Um, and that really is just kind of the bare minimum, I would say, like being culturally competent is to just to be have like just the bare minimum understanding of a cultural understanding of, of a person and their um, background. Um, but in reality, what we really want to be moving towards is cultural humility, which is a ever-growing, ever-moving, um, you know, needle of really truly understanding someone's, you know, uh, cultural background. May it be um, from, you know, a, you know, a ethnic, racial, a religious, you know, standpoint, etc. I think that the, those kinds of 
that humility really means one understanding like your own bias and your own um, kind of you know your own upbringing and how that influences your understanding of others but then also too um, that you know there's always going to be an obscured understanding of of history and that you always have to be digging and understanding what it is that's happening and how where you work and what you've done and the the, the kind of work that you are doing um, has sometimes hindered, um, you know, the kind of impact that you are having on a, on individuals in the community. And so both understanding that we are here to help, but that we have also caused, you know, a lot of harm, you know, mm. at the same time. And so being able to do, um, walk that line and understand, you know, where, where privilege is, and then also being able to really provide, um, you know, a really solid understanding of like, okay, I understand where I am at and I can only understand to a degree where another person is because I can't, you know, be an expert in everything, but I can most definitely always be actively learning and actively engaging in history and knowledge that I don't know enough about. And I can be very, you know, real about uh, not knowing that. Hmm. So this this group has just done tremendous work. It sounds like you have such a good base here where you've you've reached this community, you formed this group. Uh, Lourdes, in our final minute here, what do you see as next on the horizon for STL Juntos? Well, we're still working on vaccines. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you're not at 100%. We are not done yet. We are not done yet. And, and you know, we need we need funding. Thankfully, we just were honored to get a $10,000 grant to expand our vaccine um, um, outreach. That's great. Um, thanks to the St. Louis Mosaic Project. So we're super excited. And that's where we're going next. We're still continuing to, you know, share resources and vaccine information, vaccine access, language access, fill that gap. Well, we are so glad that you are uh, doing this work, and it sounds like just some remarkable success. So, uh, Lourdes Trevino-Bailan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Lourdes is a co-founder of STL Juntos, and we also want to say thank you to Julia Lopez. Julia is an instructor in medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at Washington University School of Medicine. Julia, thank you. Thank you. This episode was produced by Laura Hamden with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.